Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Al Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out. I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM podcast. My guests today are Jairus Johnson and his producer, Sako. Jairus has exploded recently, earning over 1 million followers on his TikTok in just the past few months, fueled in part by his collaborations with Bring Me the Horizon and Papa Roach. His music is quickly skyrocketing upwards, And I'm super excited to have both of these guys on because I feel like they are the cutting edge of what's possible if you totally exploit the technology available to you today. You know, this is where things are headed. I don't necessarily mean stylistically, though I do think that the music they make together is at the start of a trend. But I mean that the way that this music is made and distributed to the world is the future. So pay attention. I introduce you, Sako and Jairus. Sako and Jairus Johnson, welcome to the URM podcast. Hey, yeah. Hello. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. So before we go into talking about your guys' work together, I want to say that I, I checked out Audiophobia. Uh-oh. Yeah. yeah. Let's no, go. you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, who told you about that? <laughs> who spilled the beans? One of my business partners, Finn McKenty. Oh, yeah, my boy Finn. Yeah, he, he told me to ask you about audiophobia. <laughs> That's Damn, awesome. He's spilling all my secrets. I thought I could trust that guy. <laughs> oh, actually, dude, it was really impressive. It's way better than anything I was doing when I was 14. <laughs> That is something I have heard even back then, you know, like by everybody was just like, damn, like these kids are fun. We would turn heads everywhere because we were just young and just happened to luckily find a group of guys who are all the same age that we're all like professionals at a young age, you know, and just like we're able to do that. Of course, like I thought the band was going to, you know unfold and to be this like i thought that was my path you know i thought it was going to be fucking getting record deals and big tours and all that stuff and and then of course you know real life happened and everybody (laughs) went off to college except for me dude to be fair though uh, not kissing your ass 
or anything, but like if it was going to happen to any like group of like 14 year olds, that would be the one I would expect. At least <laughs> I was, uh, I was seriously uh, surprised because I mean, dude, you hear a lot of shitty bands and even when people do good stuff as adults, you hear their first bands and it's like, yeah, well, you can tell that maybe something cool is going to happen <laughs> one day. But it sounded like you guys knew what you were doing. Yeah. Like I said, I was very much trying to make that the thing. I put everything into that band, 100%. Just unfolded the way it unfolded, obviously, and I'm glad it did. But had we have kept going, we definitely would have gotten signed. Like, it would have it would have obviously, inevitably yeah. reached a, you know, the conclusion that I w would have wanted it to, but life didn't work out that way. I'm pretty sure of it. The reason that I'm bringing it up, other than that I was impressed with it, is uh, that our listeners on this podcast are in a large part, metal people, Sick. metal producers and metal musicians. And uh, the way that you blend metal into what you're doing is uh, very interesting because it's super organic and you can tell that it's coming from a legit background and legit knowledge of the genres, but obviously you're not making metal. And it's, <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that it's very hard, I think, to blend it in with other genres successfully. Uh, usually when people do that, it ends up sounding like uh, like a Chevy Trucks commercial <laughs> or something. Yeah, Home <laughs> Depot commercial or something. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it's very hard to pull off. So I thought it was interesting to see that your background in heavier music is actually a real background in heavier music, and it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it was all I ever wanted to listen to at that time period, you know? I think that's what makes it come out just kind of like sounding natural and organic, too. I mean, literally, like, when he's in the studio, there's not a single guitar that's not in drop D. <laughs> just to start. I mean... Or lower. Or lower. Or lower. Depending on the guitar. Yeah, well, we were drop, drop B. Yeah, drop A. Yeah, drop A. <laughs> but it just, like... Because that's so a part of his core, when even though his like pop sensibility is insane and, and the melodies are super cool, it just kind of like naturally comes out in ways that's super uh, just different and or not what you'd expect. So you can hear the vocal influence all over the place. It's weird though, because it's not what you would expect, but it also doesn't sound out of place. And I guess that when creating new genres, I've thought about it a lot, that really kind of is what goes into it is usually new genres are a combination of two unexpected things, but that don't seem unexpected. Like when someone finally does it, it's like, oh. Why didn't anybody else think of that shit? Yeah, this yeah. is so <laughs> obvious. Right? Yeah. I always want mine to be like a combination of six things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just completely undefinable. It, like people have been. What six? You know, I don't fuck any of them. Anything. <laughs> like literally, day, dude. I could, yeah, I could, I could do anything. Just like people have been, um, people have been throwing around this word. Some of my fans have been throwing around this word, which is kind of dope, and I kind of love it, and I also kind of don't know if I like it. But they've been calling it Jerris Core. Hey man, if you can have a genre named after you, that's a good thing. Luckily, I have a unique enough name to where like it not doesn't necessarily sound like a person's name right away, you know, so it, it could just sound like a word or like a genre, you know? I don't know. I'm okay with it. We can invent that. Yeah, I, I can think of worse things to happen. So how do you guys know each other? Dude, it's actually really funny. So Jairus is from Eugene. I went to college in Eugene at University of Oregon. We didn't meet there, which that's like very, like it's smaller cities, you know, kind of like a college town really centered around that. But 
Definitely we, could have met there, yeah. but we didn't. Yeah, it was, yeah. But you met in L.A. Met yes. in L.A., yeah. Jairus' manager at one point reached out and, and was trying to get a session, but I didn't take the session at the time. And I just quit my job. My part-time job was like, ah, I'm going to go music full-time. So I kind of unfortunately had to be very like selective with what I was working on. And, and I had bills to pay, so I had to really just take kind of like paid gigs because I was like, shit, I got rent due, you know? At one point, Jairus just reached out and was like, dude, like, what would it take to do a song together? And I was like, all right, like, come on down. Let's do a couple of days. And, and that very first session, I was blown away by his talent level. I even, I, I hit him after with just like, dude, I, I, what, I send you a text? Send me like the nicest text anybody's ever sent me in my life. <laughs> like, dude, you have like, just so nice. Like just saying like how surprised he was by like the session and just how like, dude, if like about my mindset and attitude and everything and just like had nothing but nice things to say. And that kind of, that begun the, the bromance, if you will. <laughs> Definite bromance. Interestingly enough, you know, one thing that I noticed when producing a lot is even if I was working with uh, good bands or talented bands, like actually working with somebody who's doing something different is pretty rare. Even when you're working with signed artists or career artists, it's super rare. So it stands out. It sounds like that's how you felt. Yeah. It wasn't like that at first, no. though. I did not sound like how I sound today when I met him. You know, as you saw, me at 14 or 15 years old, like, had all the musical talent in the world, you know, like, very naturally talented at music, could drum, could sing, taught myself how to play guitar, taught myself how to do it all, and could do it at a really high level, really young, but I just never figured out how to translate that into being an artist for, like, a while. Like, it just took me a while to figure out what I wanted to sound like and even my own like pr producing and recording abilities, you know, uh, just sitting in my room trying to get creative and make something that felt like me or felt like it pulled from my influences, but also was more like what I wanted to make in the future and all this stuff. And it just took me a long time to nail it, you know? So when I first met him, I, I was, I was not nailing it, <laughs> but it wasn't bad either. It was just not what it is today. It was just like clean pop and the thing is though is like that's just a part of the growing pains of being an artist i don't know anyone who made their first song and is, and is like this is it this is me as an artist this is or, or at least that's like stayed true if they do say that they're probably delusional yeah they're delusional or you know maybe it feels like that in the moment but give it a year and they look back and they go that wasn't it like what was i doing that's just a part of the process but it was like the second that the rock influence started coming out, and then more specifically, just some of the, the metal stuff, it, it was like a whole world opened up. It, it was like this feeling of like, holy shit, I'm in, I'm sold. Like, I believe you as an artist. It's, I haven't heard anything like this. This is it. Keep going, keep investigating. Let's dive deep down to this path. Let's go way past the line and reel back if we have to, rather than like never get to the line. And I think that's honestly how we approach almost every song. Yeah. I, we'd rather take it too far and then dial it back in than like not go far enough. That makes perfect sense. So just out of curiosity, if it was just clean pop when you guys first met, what was it that set the light bulb off in 
your head that made you think, yeah, I should, uh, I should work with this kid. This is what's really crazy is that we came to the same conclusion independently at the same time, <laughs> yeah. which is really wild. Yeah. You know, we had, we had worked together, done a few songs and sticks and stones was the first one where this like, you know, it still is like pretty soft relative to like, you know, some of the other stuff we're doing now, but like there still is those heavy guitars and, and it was the first time this rock influence kind of came out and it was like, oh, this is definitely the most interesting song we've done. You know, I'm curious about this. And, and then, uh, you know, he, he's also, I mean, an incredible producer, let alone, you know, writer and artist and his, his chops are insane. And so he was doing and producing some of his own music and kind of like just going through like a self-discovery phase. I had mixed that project that he had produced, I was sitting there thinking about it after of like, man, like obviously this guy is insanely talented, but I'm like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not buying this project yet. And it was like, well, it's because Sticks and Stones is the most authentic sounding thing we've done. And it's the rock influence that's coming out. And so I was getting ready to, to sit down and have this conversation with him of like, man, like, you know, that EP is cool. Like you, you had to go through that to get to, you know, it's all a part of the process, but why isn't rock and metal coming out in, in the music? Like, if that can come out, I think that, like, you're going to really find yourself as an artist. And before I said a word, <laughs> he said it all. Literally, like, we sat down to have a conversation, and he said everything I was going to say without me even saying a word. It was, like, it was this kind of insane moment where I was like, did you just, like, read my mind? Like, did I tell you this already? What happened? How did Yeah, and it's almost like that conversation, it's almost like it had to get out, out of the brain for that to happen because then the next few, like, demos and ideas I was making and producing were, like, not even the same person. Like, it just all of a sudden, all of a sudden the light bulb just, like, flipped and it was like, oh, shit. This is, like, now, now we're getting somewhere, you know, now we're, now we're like, now we're starting to make some art yeah. finally, you know, not just like, you know, I just, I started, I started realizing that I could be as creative as I was uh, back in the band where I felt like I had no rules and I felt like I just wanted to make the craziest shit when I was in the band. And then when I started doing pop music, you know, I was just trying to make, I was just trying to make what I thought would be a hit or like what I thought people would like or whatever. And then all of a sudden I, I realized I could be just as outside the box and creative in my own music. And that's kind of what really led me to discover how to make Jairus sound like Jairus, you know, cause I, I just, I had kind of abandoned a part of me you know, for, for a while, because I just like, Oh, I'm just over this rock and metal shit. And it's just boring now. And it all sounds the same and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, uh, you know, it just wasn't cool anymore. It wasn't, didn't feel young anymore. It didn't feel like it was, didn't feel like it was popular anymore or anything like that. It just felt like it was kind of a dying thing. And I was just like, I don't know, just started getting over it and went down this whole other path. And it took me like kind of rediscovering my roots uh, in a creative way and just being like, I can be as extreme as I want to be. And maybe I should just do that instead of try to make a pop song. Like maybe I should just, maybe I should just make some crazy shit that entertains me. And, and that's what's going to, you know, like pop off. And sure enough, like that's, that's when everything, that's when I started going viral. <laughs> you know, it was when I started just when I started just being myself. But you know what is the like biggest blessing of that whole thing is like, I know, you know, again, you have to go through that process to really figure out, oh, and be sure of this is me as an artist. And I know this for a fact because I've been other places and I know that this is home. But what in that venture into the pop world and pop songwriting, the just the pop sensibility that you you learned and retained, I mean, it, it comes through in the music now and that's what allows you to to put in this metal influence and this this heavy rock influence but still make it 
catchy as fuck and and like the average listener could be like yo this is harder than i normally listen to but this is sick i can latch onto this because you understand melodies and rhythm and how to make a pop song and now you knowing these rules and internalizing these rules you can break them because you can break them intelligently and do them in ways that's unique and creative jaris and i have this conversation all the time but john bellion is one of my favorite artists personally but like you see him his stuff his artist stuff is so inspiring to me. It's super left to center, but he knows how to write the hits. I mean, he's on, you know, he did the Bieber record. He's working Maroon 5 and Halsey and whatever, and he's having huge successes in that. But when you listen to his artist shit, he's breaking all the rules, but in the coolest ways because he just knows the rules so well. I've thought about this a lot. I'm curious how you guys feel about it. I think that trying to predict what other people are going to respond to is... It's like astrology or something. It doesn't really work. And if you try to make your music something that, if, if you're trying to just do it in order to please other people, you're going to end up not pleasing people. Someone's always going to dislike it. So the best bet is to just do something that excites you, that uh, is who you are. And uh, hopefully who you are as an artist resonates with enough people. I really think that there's no real secret to it other than do something honest. And if you're lucky, it will resonate with people and they'll respond. Can't fake it. Yeah, I feel 100% the same way. It's like, honestly, you kind of see a similar translation when it comes to live shows too. It's like if someone gets on stage and is trying to be this like cool person, this and that, it feels corny and it's not authentic. But if you see someone who's up there just having fun in the time of your life, that's when you get into it. That's when you're like, yo, I can dig this. This guy's like maybe a little odd, but he's freaking jamming up there, right? And I feel like it's the same thing with songwriting and production. Yo, you can tell that artist had a hell of a fun time like in the studio working on that. Or like you can tell that there's like some pain in that process. And when you see those authentic emotions and and you can hear them come through that's when people resonate with it because it doesn't it it doesn't feel like it's trying to be something that is not just to add on to what you're saying though there's no guarantee that even if you are being genuine that it will resonate that's True. kind of the risk you take as an artist by going out there is uh it might fall flat i will say though just to play devil's advocate like every time i've ever gone viral I knew it was going to go viral. Like, I knew it was going to resonate. I've never gone viral or had something get popular on accident. Like, just because. That has never once happened to me where I've, I've thought, I didn't know it was going to resonate, and then it resonated. Like, every time something has resonated, I knew it was going to resonate. But... I've had just as many times where I thought something maybe was going to resonate and it didn't resonate, you know? But every time something has resonated, I knew it was going to resonate. But it had to resonate with you first. Of course. Right? Yeah, of that's, course. That's kind of my point. Is yeah. that it wasn't like you were just painting by numbers because there's some pop formula and, you know, boxes checked. Okay, this is going to resonate. It actually resonated with you artistically first. Yeah. And that's kind of the gauge. And many and many real, you know, many true hit songs, you know what I mean, are are not the like lifeless formulaic like stuff even mm -hmm. in the pop even in the pop world. Like if you really truly have a smat like a huge hit, there's usually something to it where it's like that it's not just a whatever, you know, but like super inauthentic, like by the numbers thing. It's like, it's just usually something exactly. about it that, that is a real, you know, emotion that, that, that feels authentic. Right. Those are the ones that stand the test of time. Like e even if it is a pop formulaic, this and that, it might have like a, a, a moment. It might have its 10 seconds of fame, but it, you know, next year, nobody's playing that song. It just was, it had a, a brief second, but it's the ones that are, are these 
you know, like you're talking about that actually last. And that's why songs, we still play songs 30 years old, 40 years old, because there's that feeling in it. Yeah. You know, I think that pop music and popular music, like I'm distinguishing between the two because there can be non-pop stuff that's popular. I think that it gets a bad rap in that a lot of people, I think it comes from a lot of jealousy, first of all, but uh, I think a lot of people don't understand how rare it is for a song to resonate with a larger audience. Like it's not a normal thing. Most songs don't resonate with people. There's far more songs that don't resonate with people than songs that do resonate with people. And so in order for something to actually stand the test of time, it has to stand out. There has to be something authentic about it that yeah. sticks out from the crowd or else who will even notice or remember or care. Right. Yeah. The worst thing you can be is boring. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You are not, sir. Trust yeah, me. I just, I'll never, I, I vow to never, ever be boring. Like any song, album I make, like I, I want my career to be defined by constant unpredictability. You know, like I just, I, the last thing I want to be is boring because then I'll just be fucking bored, you know? So like, I just, I always want to be generating some kind of emotional response and I don't, and I don't even much care what it is. You know, it's just as so long as I'm not fucking bored. You know what I mean? Dude, last night I was in the studio. We were cutting vocals on an album. The conversation we were having is that like art is just a conversation. Art makes people feel things and, and hopefully strong feelings. The best art you're, you're passionate about, whether it's good or bad, it's a conversation to be had. And so like, I don't know if you got to see any of the comments in the Bring Me the Horizon Instagram or YouTube when we put out the Can You Feel My Heart remix. <laughs> I didn't see the comments, but I can probably... You can imagine what it was. Yeah, oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. You can imagine. Absolute war, which means we've done our job. Yeah. We've done what we <laughs> set out to do, and we upset a lot of people. That's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. But invoking that strong emotion, that's what art is. Whether you like it or not, the passion that comes from it, hatred or love, like that is is art to me. And just something that goes, literally the worst reaction I can get in something is like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh my God, kill me now. I'm yeah, terrible. That's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. So how do you define the difference between a musical product and a musical art? Or can they be the same thing? I think they can be the same thing. There's a lot of artists uh, and a lot of stuff that I, I've worked on too that just feels like a product. It's like a, hey, I want to do something like Post Malone. So we're going to do a song like this. It's like, well, that's not, that's not art. Post What Post did was art because that's truly him. But now you're just... You're copying it. And so it's like that to me is just like, oh, it's a product. It's something that fits into a box. But again, like the art, the stuff that's truly unique, it's still a product. It's still something you're you're consuming and purchasing, but it's... So it's both. Yeah, it's both. It stands out. Do you feel like everyone that is capable of making a musical product is capable of making musical art, number one? <laughs> yeah, fuck no. No, no I don't either. And number two, <laughs> do you think on the path to becoming an artist, you have to go through the copy phase. Well, to answer the first question, Jairus, I kind of slightly disagree with you on that. Are they capable? Yes, but that comes from them. They have to go through the burning passion and desire to be better, to be great, to do something unique, to go through the, the tears and the frustration and the, the, 
the struggle to get there. I think anyone is capable of that. Well, I think, anyone is capable of anything. But I think most, you know, so I, like, I don't, yeah, I technically that, speaking. I think anyone's mo- capable of murder, too. Yeah, yeah. Most, yeah, anyone's capable of, I, you know, yeah. I believe in people. Anyone's capable of achieving anything. You know, I was, I was never taught to you have any limiting beliefs about anything. So anybody is technically capable of anything. It's just mo- most people but won't. I felt like the question was more like just realistically speaking, yeah. you know, does the average person who's fucking making a music, there's, what is there, 58,000 songs uploaded to Spotify a week, like, a day or some shit something like, like that? that. Like, something yeah, it's dude, insane. I'm sorry, but like most of those people are not artists. No, that's true. They're just people putting shit on the internet. There's a big difference, really. As like a student of music, I think there's something incredibly valuable about that. It's like, you know, watching a movie, you can learn and pick up, you know, tips on how to make a film. And even if it's just camera angles, coloring, dialogue, whatever it is, there's a lot to be learned from. So I think that like there's a kind of fundamental phase, especially when you're starting, of just like discovery and learning how to create something that sounds you know, like sonically good, but there's also a, a point where you have to move past that. So I think it can be a totally crucial part of discovery uh, of yourself, but I, I think that you can't live there forever or yeah, else it, you're doomed. It arguably has to be because you can't, you know, have to learn how to play an instrument somehow. You know, like somebody's got to teach me or I have to copy somebody or whatever. You know what I mean? Gotta I have learn to learn the language. I have to yeah. learn how to play yeah. back in black, you know, on a guitar or something <laughs> like that's copying well, technically that or so close to or home. whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Even when you're first producing, you know, you just it's going to be impossible to get on the computer and just start making art. Just start making shit. You know, like it's just like, no, you usually usually go, OK, like you like this type of music or you like this artist. So you try to, you know, figure out how does how do they? do it how do they make it sound like that and you start looking up tutorials you start doing this and that and the other but yeah that's just that's just getting your fundamental like how to play the computer or how to play the guitar or whatever it's just your fundamental learning and and yeah probably everybody has to go through that on some level even if you're you know just like when I the way I used to teach myself drums was just you know playing along to songs and stuff you know like in my headphones while I was playing them and just trying to match the like trying to match it and doing that so it's just like everybody I think has to do something like that to get started but yeah there is a there is that breaking point like once you have developed a some sense of fundamental okay I I can create you know like I have the ability to create stuff now at that point is the fork in the road you know yeah that makes sense so many of the huge monumental rock bands like historical ones Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, and, you know, moving forward through time to the age of YouTube covers, a whole lot of them started as cover bands, which says something. <laughs> like, Beatles played five-hour sets uh, six days a week of pure covers for years. Um, there's so many artists who traditionally started as cover artists. And I think that it's similar to, like, when you go and you get a fine art, degree, a whole lot of the time is spent recreating other people's stuff because you're just, you're just learning the tools of the trade. Right. But I agree. There does come a point where if you have a personality, it's going to have to start getting injected there somehow. Honestly, it makes a lot of sense that those bands started that way because it'd be rare to put four talented musicians in a room who've never played together and expect them to make something great. In fact, I think that like <laughs> inherently this the the trust that like a songwriter and producer and especially with an artist like that that develops is 
one of the most important things in creating art. We inherently trust each other. If Jarris has a strong feeling about something, if it makes me uncomfortable, I go, all right, I trust you. It's, you know, like we, I know that we're not going to let each other fall. And that trust is so important in creating something great. So like with four people who are talented musicians, and especially when egos get involved and like, there's no, it's, it'd be so rare for something magical to happen. And so to, to develop that trust with each other is how you get to what the Beatles ended up you know, going on to do and what Zeppelin did and any of those bands. And so many bands that came later too. Yeah. Yeah. The cover, I mean, you guys know the cover stuff never, it never stopped. It just kept going. Yep. Hey everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast and you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuga, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. I'm curious what you guys think about this thought too. A lot of people have asked me, and I've seen this asked a lot of uh, you know people on the podcast or on Nail the Mix or you know whenever in my career, how do you develop your own sound? And uh, you know, as a producer, as a guitar player, whatever, and. I've always thought that you don't really need to try to create your own sound. You just should follow your passions and try to get good, as good as possible. And then your personality will come through. I mean, you have to obviously make the decision to allow it to come through. But if your person, if your musical personality is unique, you don't have to try to do that. That's just who you are. And by getting better and, uh, expanding your ability to use the musical language, your unique sound is just going to come through because you are going to come through. What do you guys think? Yeah, dude, I don't, you know, it's funny. It's like, I've been, I have been asked like this question. They're like, I've been asked an exact question like this before. It's like, 
how do I, you know, people DM me on Twitter or all my live streams or anything and be like, how do you like do it? You know, how do you like make, how do you make something that sounds unique? How do you, how do you make your own sound? How do you make your own genre? How do you do this? Like, what are you doing? And I, and I, do, I don't know. You just, <laughs> like, you just I do actually it. don't know like, because You're I just it's being just, yourself. You just do yeah. it. I don't know. Like I, I, I don't. There's like honestly no advice to even offer because like I don't even know what's happening when I'm doing it. I'm just, you just do it. It's like a language. You're just speaking. You know, you just, it just comes out and you don't much think about it. You know, you just like, it just happens. And that's kind of what making music is like. I mean, that's kind of like what it's always been. It's always, it's always come supernaturally to me. It's always, it's always been very easy for me like super easy never once struggled with anything musical really you know i mean it's taken me time to learn the software and stuff or whatever but as far as music stuff goes and music brain stuff goes it's always been effortless so i just i don't even know how to answer a question like that because i think that is the answer i would say too like it's funny i'm the opposite of jaris in the sense that like i i don't think i was i'm not i'm not naturally like gifted with music. I've had to work really hard to be subpar at piano and, you know, guitar. Like I, I'm not that, like this kid can get in the studio, pick up any instrument that he's never played and figure out how to shred like he's been playing for years. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me, man? Like unfair. But like we're, you know, I've always had like a love for music, but I wasn't gifted in that way. But for me, just like putting in the hours and work and just doing it and, and, you know, over time learning what I gravitate towards and kind of like letting my influence come through. It's funny. I feel like I don't have a sound in production. I feel like I'm always just like trying to figure out what is my sound or just be open to experimentation, this or that. But like all of my friends and collaborators are like, dude, I know exactly when you produce something. Yeah. It sounds like you. And yeah. I'm like, what? Like, really? Yeah. That's crazy. Cause I feel like I don't have that, but like, that's exactly my point. You can only be yourself. Exactly. You don't have a choice in the matter actually. Right. Jairus is pushing me outside my comfort zone. I try to do the same for him. And then we always are always pushing ourselves outside the comfort zone. And with that is what, you know, brings the growth, but we're not out there trying to go copy, you know, someone's production or go like, Oh, I want to sound like this person. Because if we do that, then like we lose our identity. Yeah. Ever. Even if you did that though, it would still be filtered through your brain. It, you know what? Even if we did say, Hey, we're going to go do this. And we'd probably just, which we've literally done yeah. with, you know, last resort reloaded. And you know, <laughs> like, we've literally done this, yeah. but you know, it's also just, yeah, it's like you can either try to copy someone else and you'll never be as good as them. Or you can do your own thing and you'll be the best. Like, nobody else on planet Earth is going to be better at being Jairus than me, you know? So I can be number one at something if I'm just me. That's the, the way to look at it. I to don't me, know, man. Like, Give me six months. Yeah. I'm giving you a run for your money. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody can make something, you know, that is unique to them and then they can be the best at doing it. They can have that sound that is them that... Nobody else can touch because they're not them. You know, nobody's going to be, yeah, the amount of times you've had sex with people that want to do something like Post Malone or whatever, like, but nobody's ever going to be better than Post Malone at being I write Post that, Malone. Maybe it's unfair to me. Yeah. I write that off instantly. If you come to me and tell me that you found your sound and it's like Post Malone, I'm done. I don't, this session is gone. I, it, this doesn't matter to me <laughs> because I know that I'm going to be making some subpar product and it's not art. And I, I want to make art. I, I don't want to, like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't do this because I'm trying to make money. Like, obviously, you know, you have to pay your bills and this and that. But like, if I wanted to make a lot of money, I would not have done music. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, other things you can do. If if that's your number one goal, it, 
maybe not the best career choice. Right. It's not like, dude, I can't tell you how many, like for years was eating spoonfuls of peanut butter for lunch <laughs> because that's what I could afford, you know? And it's like, but I didn't care because I woke up and I loved what I did every day. So like when it feels like work, it no longer is fun. And that to me is just like, oh, I'm making something that already exists and we're never going to be able to do it better than that person. So wh why? Well, because maybe, uh, maybe people erroneously believe that if they do something like what somebody else did that was successful, they'll be able to recreate their success too. They want what that person has. That's definitely it. Which is impossible to attain. It's not a good pursuit because it's impossible. You can only create your life, you know? You can't just go, I want my life to be like this person's life and just do that. Like, it just doesn't work like that. Every... Everybody, I mean, I remember feeling like, oh, I mean, I'm 25 right now, and there's kids that are in L.A. getting deals and shit, and they're like 17 years old. And I'm like, fuck, why couldn't that have been me? You know, why <laughs> couldn't I have done that? But had I been that, you know, I probably wouldn't have landed at where I am artistically right now, you know? And then, and that might lead to a whole other thing. Like, I, I can only live Jairus's life, you know? And everyone's got their own life path and own unique thing, and there's pros and cons to all of it. So comparing or either comparing or trying to recreate somebody else's life or success or art or anything is a completely lost it's it's a waste of your life and it will always breed on happiness what what you just said is like yeah you'll fail forever yeah. you will constantly feel like you're a failure forever i obviously love your attitude on on just everything but life in general especially it's like you're like i'm gonna do me and that's what's gonna make me happy i'm not trying to be something i'm not trying to chase some fantasy life it's like i'm gonna live my life and that's where i find happiness and, and that's where art comes from, or either <laughs> happiness or deep sadness and pain yeah. or whatever. But like, again, <laughs> those strong emotions. Yeah. When people look at somebody else's life and say, I want that, they're not really looking at their life. They're looking at what that person is showing them about their life. Like when you look at uh, someone's uh, social media, you're not seeing their life. You're seeing little clips that have been curated. Yeah. You're seeing what they want to show you, which is very much... And very often not what it really is. Except for me. Everything <laughs> everything I post is real. <laughs> but you don't post everything. Oh, yeah, I do. Come, Yeah, I post it all. You know, <laughs> it's all up there. It's all real. You mean when you were crying in the studio the other shut night? Shut up. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> With the social media following, have you noticed at all that... uh People have a weird idea of what your life must be like. Oh, yeah. Especially it happening <laughs> so, I mean, like in the middle of COVID and everything. You know, it's like I was basically nobody as far as fame goes, you know, until like October of last year, you know, like a few months ago. So it's like I this is very new to me still. And also it's new to me in this sense that like I'm just pretty much famous on my phone. But, like, in real life, I'm, I don't feel famous or anything. Like, I feel like I've always felt, you know, I'm not on tour. I'm not, like, I, I haven't felt that realness yet, even though I've got millions of followers and shit. I'm like, cool. But if I turn my phone off, then it means nothing, you know? If I lost, if I my phone broke and I lost it, it would mean <laughs> nothing, you know? Because I wouldn't, like, it wouldn't exist. It literally wouldn't exist to my life. So it's weird because people definitely view me as a famous person, even though I'm not even that famous yet, like even at the level that I'm at, my DMs and comments and everything when I invite people on live or we just did a radio show, you know, where we had callers 
call in and shit. And people were like screaming when I answered, like screaming, <laughs> like losing their minds. I was oh, just like, rock weird. Star. holy shit. I mean, obviously I'm a fucking rock star, but <laughs> I was still like, holy shit. Like it just, it hasn't felt real to me yet because I haven't had enough of those moments. You know, it's been basically just notifications on a screen to me this entire time. I want to, I, I want to sit down a year from now and have that same question and yeah. see how you feel. <laughs> a lot of people though, who have had the experience in real life, not on their phone, still don't feel like it means anything. Yeah. And it might not, I don't, I don't know yet. I've just decided that I'm going to roll with the fucking punches ever since this started popping off and everything was going. I'm like, okay, Jarris, like, this is what you always knew was going to happen. You knew you were going to get here. You knew you were going to be somebody. You knew you were going to do this. It was just a matter of when, you know, not if. I just knew it was going to always happen. It just needed to happen eventually. And now it's start. Now it has started to really officially happen. So to me, it's still, it's normal because I felt like I have spent my whole life just knowing and existing like it's already happened. You know, it's like, I, I just, I don't even... I live at the place where I've already won Grammys and I'm already in the Hall of Fame and and like I just know it's going to happen. I fucking promise. I know it's going to happen. It just it, I don't know when. I don't know what song. You know, I don't know what album. I don't know what exactly, but I do know it's going to happen. So, it's just it's just uh it's feel it feels normal and it and it might always feel normal, you know, because I've spent all my life preparing for it to feel normal, you know? I also think, too, to that point of, and this, like, not to be, like, all corny and stuff, but, like, happiness really just, like, stems from within. And so, like, seeking validation of others is never going to bring, you know, true happiness. And so, like, it might, that, eventually that gets old and boring. You know, it might be exciting at first, but there's a certain point where you just don't care anymore. Yeah, and I don't even, you know, I don't even care about being famous, like, at all. Like, I really don't care about that. What I care about is making, like, crazy art that has an impact. And so, therefore, mm -hmm. the natural, you know, the natural side effect of that is high levels of fame. And so, I feel like I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to have to be really famous. I don't want to, really, but I'm going <laughs> to have to be in order to do what I want to do this and is achieve just what I want to achieve. Just yeah. making sacrifices it's out just, here. I, I'm just going to have to be fucking super famous, you know? So, it is what it is. <laughs> I do believe that you have to have that kind of mentality in order to persevere through the bullshit that life and this industry will throw at you, but also entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurs have to have that attitude mm -hmm. too when they start their companies. Like this, this is an, a very important attitude to have because otherwise you're going to quit. However, we all know people who say that shit too and are completely delusional. Yep. So what's the difference? Is it just that one, you're right and, and they're wrong? Yes, that's the difference. It's hard to quantify. You're right. There are people that have big hat, no cattle syndrome. Just fucking hat, talk, no cattle. fucking <laughs> talk and talk and talk. <laughs> And never you know, heard that one before. That's that great. One? No, dude. That's I thought it was like hella common phrase. <laughs> Big hat, no cattle. Yeah. Just That's like, you great. know, those people who fucking just constantly just, they're jumping from the next big idea to the next big idea to the next big idea to the next big idea. And all the while, they just, they actually never do anything. You know, they just talk and just say. And, you know, I just, the, the difference is simple. Like execution. Yeah. Like Do I it. actually 
am going to do it. Like, that's just it. And, I, and I'm unstuck. Like, it's, it's literally, it's also bully because everyone wants to say and look cool and look confident and stuff. But, like, not everybody actually believe. Like, I genuinely believe I am unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. And there is not even a shadow of a doubt in the back of my mind or like literally it doesn't exist. So from my perspective, as somebody who has like utilized this mindset and was taught this mindset growing up and has now seen it bring me a certain level of success and it's going to continue to elevate that level of success. It's just the only thing I could say is you just actually have to believe it you know you can't fake the mindset you know like the mindset's in your mind it's in your brain you can't fake it you could say and you could whatever and people might not know but if you in your head don't believe it somewhere in your brain then you're gonna always be giving yourself an out there's always gonna be a you know a plan b my my parents I was lucky, very lucky to be raised with good parents that instilled this mindset in me. And it's probably the reason I'm even doing this today is just because they were always like, once we knew that music was going to be my thing when I was like 13 or 14 years old, they were always like, there's no plan B. Plan B just distracts from plan A. You're not going to college. You're not doing this. Like, wow. you, this is your destiny. Like, R- do rare, it. Rare, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, do it. And and I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm fucking doing it. And that's, you know, I think that, and that's how I will raise my kids. You know, I will raise raise my kids to have that same unwavering mindset about life and what they want to do. They can fucking do it. You know, you know what comes along with that though? And I don't think that everybody is ready to make is sacrifice though. Yeah. The responsibility, the of responsibility it. of that. It's like, yeah. you can, you can talk a lot and say all these things, but until you're willing to sacrifice living comfortably and eating well and maybe sleeping a lot, whatever, whatever it is for you, uh, you know, not seeing your friends. I've, I can't tell you how many friends I've lost. I don't want to say <laughs> lost because it's, you know, if I was to see him, it'd be great. But how many discontinued? I I don't get invited to anything anymore because <laughs> I never I never went, and and I'm okay with that because it's like you know I'm I have this vision, I have this dream of where I want to be. I'm not going to let anything get in the way of that. And unfortunately, going out on the weekends gets in the way of that. So you know, and I stopped getting those texts. I'm okay with that, but not everybody is. And I think you know the same way your parents are like. Plan A, there's only plan A, there's only, you know, there's no plan B, you know, they had to make sacrifices to do that too, you know? Yeah. So it's like, and, and they, I think they led by example very well with that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. My dad, my dad owned his own business, you know, he's just ran it, started it from the ground up, did it, you know, did his thing like that. And, and they always, you know, they always wanted to instill in me that mindset that, that I can achieve you know, instead of instead of taking the you know approach that probably most parents would want to take, which is like okay, looking out for what's best for your kid and don't be risky and go to college and do this and pa pa pa. You know, you're gonna like line it up like that. They you know saw in me that I had a true love and passion and natural gift that was given to me to do this, and they just fully supported it. My dad, my dad bought all my shit. He was the roadie for the band, you know, set up the drums, the guitar shit, packed all up in the van, went to every show. They went to every, I played hundreds of shows and I think my parents probably missed a couple 
Max, you know, like they went to everything. They were super, super involved and, and supportive of all of it. And it's just, you know, I think that gave me, I think that helped me to believe in myself because I had my parents from such a young age believing in me and telling me like, this is going to happen for you. You're going to do this. You're going to make it happen. And I just started to become the story of my life. You know, I am going to do this. This is my destiny. This is what's going to happen. And install the right software. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Basically, literally. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just like, and then I was able to, to take that and then develop it into my own thing and, and take it even beyond what they, you know, taught me. So it's just like, like to me that that's the only way to do it. And, you know, you can get lucky. Like people do get lucky in life. You know, the people win the lottery and people fucking it happens. People get signed that shouldn't get signed and shit happens. You know, it does get lucky, but you know, if you are, you know, obviously that's extremely rare, does not happen very often to hardly anybody. So you got to make your own luck, you know, and you got to, you got to do it yourself. And so to me, the only way to, to do that is to have that unwavering full 100% belief in yourself that it is actually possible to do what you want to do. It's not just a dream. It's not just, oh, one in a million. You know how many times I was told that? One in a million. Oh, I don't know. It's one in a million. Everybody. All the. But they are right, though. They're right, but it's such a losing mindset to have. You know, it's like, okay, if I had that mindset, guess where I wouldn't be? Yeah. Sitting right here. You're like, you well, know? I'm the one, motherfucker. Yeah, and that's what I always <laughs> told them. I was like, well, yeah, I am that one. The thing with the belief is I don't think that the belief creates any, like, anything supernatural what it does is it makes you do the right things it makes you execute like if you actually believe this great shit's gonna happen why wouldn't you sacrifice for it and do what the other guy won't yeah i mean it ain't it ain't like i'm fucking laying around in bed all day just like believing it's gonna happen and sleeping you know what i mean like obviously (laughs) that's not what i'm doing obviously we're out here fucking yeah like Doing it, executing, actually. And everybody knows, most people know what they need to do in life. They know what they should be doing. They want to lose weight. They want to get money. They want a new job. They want to do pursue their passion. They want to pursue their dream. You know, they've, everyone's heard the stories. Everyone knows what it takes in general to be successful. So it's just a matter of actually doing it. Like, yeah, you do have to fucking literally work your fucking ass off like you have to make it your life this is your life now doing this it's your 100% focus nothing else matters it's your purpose in life and people just don't most people just are not willing to get rid of the distractions get rid of the bullshit they'd rather play video games sit on social media sit on fucking tiktok drink smoke whatever do whatever it is instead of doing what they know they need to do if they want to have the life that they want but people just most people just don't do it. And so that's why most people don't believe it's possible and don't get theirs because of all that stuff. They just are simply not doing what it is they know they need to do. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is uh, that's why I actually think there's not a ton of competition out there. For instance, with production, people say that it's a very oversaturated field. I don't buy that. I think, yes, there's a lot of people who entry-level do these things or have like entry-level bands or entry-level everything because it's super easy to just buy gear now and get started. But 
someone that will actually execute all the way and will do everything that it takes to uh, pull something off, that's super, super rare. Oh, absolutely. There are so many. I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't, I don't buy that at all. And yeah, there's like a lot of people who, who like to produce and like to spend their time, you know, making music and stuff. But like, I look at the, the producers who inspire me and I, I'm looking at like, you know, some, some guys like Ian Kirkpatrick and Accident and Ricky Reed and, you know, Dr. Luke, like these guys who've, you know, clearly cut through all the noise. And it's because it's like, they're not doing what everybody else is, is doing. If people are going right, they're going left. And you see people rewarded for that constantly. And that's a scary thing to do because it's the fear of like, you know, when you're making, when you're making something and kind of putting yourself into music, you want people to like it and get validation and this and that. But like all that stuff is just being willing to be daring and different. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's spot on. I think there's like a lot of people making music, but like to be truly a great producer is to, to challenge and to push boundaries and to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, like think about, uh, what it takes for instance, to, if you go through the studio system of becoming an intern and then an assistant and then et cetera, et cetera, like, the people who do that, they have to be willing to make no money for years. They have to be willing to do some really shitty work for a long time and uh, years and years with no guarantee of ever ascending the ranks, ever even getting paid, move to a city that's probably not where they want to live, where they can barely afford to live. Like all these things, every single time that you add one of these challenges in, it filters more people out. So like with producers... First of all, they have to be willing to put themselves through all that. Then, out of all those people, then there's the group of people who are willing to make those sacrifices but are also actually cool to hang out with. Okay, so then out of those people, out of the people willing to make the sacrifices and who are cool to hang out with, then there's the people who actually know how to operate the, the stuff. Then, out of all those people... Then there's people who actually have an artistic uh, mind. And so, like, that's four levels of filtering. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's not that many people who... Check all those fucking boxes. Yeah. 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 And if you do check all those boxes, you're usually... You're usually somebody. If you're checking all those boxes... Yeah, exactly. You will you will be successful. No doubt about it. There's actually no way that that equation doesn't add up to success. I've never, I've never seen it not add up. Right. It's, that's the thing. And you, you know, people might be in different stages of that, uh, you know, in their career. Like, but if you see all those attitudes, I mean, it's why you want, would want to work with someone. So whether they've broken through that level of success or not, you recognize those things and you're like, oh, well, I'm going to bring you in on this. And, oh, you got to meet this person. You got to, it's because you, you see exactly. those things. So yeah, a hundred percent. In my own life, I've taken a lot of risks and pulled off some unrealistic shit. But the thing is, to me, it never seemed unrealistic because, uh, I always did equations like that. Like, uh, it's this plus this plus this plus this. Then it's super logical, kind of like we're talking about that. You know, if someone checks off all those boxes as a producer, they're going to be successful. It's like a foregone conclusion. And so I've always approached the things that I do, my own ventures, in that way. Like, what are the conditions that need to exist in order for this to work out? And uh, once I figure that out, then... It's not so much about luck. It's just more about execution. I mean, there is some luck involved that you meet the right people that, or that you're doing it at the right period in history for, you know, where the world will even give a fuck. But right. that stuff aside, once you figure out that equation, then 
it is down to just relentless execution, I think. Exactly. I mean, that's how all great inventions were made. Relentless execution. <laughs> Me and Finn always talk about what will we do that the other guy won't? Will the other guy do this? No, we're doing it then. I love that. Yeah, it's that's. I mean, there's several gauges that we use, but when we're doing something tough, we'll always ask ourselves: Do we see other people putting up with this shit and like actually seeing this project through? No, it's too hard. Okay, cool, we're doing it. Well, and and you've been rewarded for it, and will continue to be rewarded for it. It pays off for sure. So, anyways, I think this is a good place to uh, to call it. I want to thank both of you for taking the time to hang out. I've very much enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, sir. Please. Thank you. It's been amazing. Really appreciate you having us on. I'm glad we got to do it. Yeah. Shout out Colin for the intro, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you, Colin. Colin Brennan's the man. King. <laughs> Wait, King. hold on. Real, real quick King before shit. we get off. Yeah. Let's talk about him for a second. Okay. He's a madman. He's a fucking brilliant genius and I love him. How do you guys know him? How did we get? Dude, did we, we get met him when uh, oh through Papa Roach. Yeah, through Jacoby and stuff. When Jarris's last resort TikTok went viral, and there was like talk about like you know maybe doing like a, a TikTok together, and Jacoby very much was like, yo, I got to see what this guy's all about. Like, kind of got, I got to vet him is the term he's been using. You know, I got to see if he's a, he's a cool guy. And they were doing a drum day at NRG. Like, you know, Colin was obviously, you know, he's doing the album and was cutting drums and stuff. And so met Colin there. He heard a couple of the songs and then we really connected with him on one night when he just was like, I've got this crazy idea. Like, what are you guys doing? Let's meet up. And then we just like sat in the studio and just vibed for hours on just like what inspired us and cool music. And, you know, and then we've, you know, gotten in and just done some weird, cool shit. And his, his attitude is incredible with just music in general how he sees it the future of music where it's going and how he approaches it it's i mean i feel like our visions are very much aligned yeah he's legit everything Sako said pretend i said it too he's a brilliant dude absolutely yeah all right well cool well thank you guys dude thank you man i wish you much more success appreciate it you thank as well. you sir yes i love success i'm addicted it's a good thing give me more all right then Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at AL Levy URM Audio at URM Academy and of course, tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at urm.academy and use the subject line, answer me, al. All right then, till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.